Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you for joining this bonus episode of the Delve Into Money podcast. Today, I talk with some of my friends on Twitter Spaces about financial mistakes that we have all made and how to go about not making the same mistakes in the future. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and play this and hope you enjoy. Thanks everyone for coming by and thanks for everyone listening on the recording. We're going to talk about financial mistakes today and just have a little bit of fun with it and and then talk about uh, you know how to how to avoid those mistakes in the future um, and how to recover from mistakes that we make. Uh, and so I appreciate everyone dropping by. Hopefully, uh, Twitter keeps coming back to where we can get more people in the room because it's you know seems like they've been having issues um, getting everyone up and running. So uh, today uh, we have uh, quite you know we have. And Alex and Justin are kind of, we've been doing this um, every other Thursday. And then um, thank you, Finance Hippie and, uh, and Tom, thanks for joining as well. Tom, have, uh, you've been on a few times as well. So appreciate you stopping by. And um, so let's just, let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, there's no reason in, in dragging this out. So I would look here and and we can just go around the horn. Uh, Lauren, I'll let you go first since you're the first one here. But what is what is your biggest uh, – tell us a little bit about you and then what's your biggest financial mistake that you have made? All right. Hey, I am Lauren. I'm at Adulting Easy. I have a podcast by that same name. And I am a personal finance enthusiast. Um, my undergrad is in regular business finance. My graduate certificate is in personal finance. We have some, uh, my husband and I have some index funds, uh, you know, taxable brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, things like that. But we really do most of, uh, most of what we do is kind of in real estate. So right now we have 12 doors, um, not looking to get any more. We're looking to kind of get to steady state on these 12 doors. Um, we haven't luckily made, I don't think any like huge mistakes in terms of, you know, purchases of stocks or, or anything with our real estate that jumps out to me. But like we did buy a, an old car. We both really like cars and we were like mid renovation. And I think we were just like looking for something that would be fun. And my husband's a mechanical engineer and he's like, I could, I could work on an older car easier than a newer car, you know, cause there's all the diagnostic tools and everything that you need. So we bought in 2020 or 2021, 2020, I think we bought a 1995 Mercedes SL 500 and we ended up just basically, it wasn't really running right. And what we thought was wrong with it, when we bought it was not what was wrong with it. And then we put in a new transmission and then there was something else wrong still after that. So we just cut our losses rather than throwing more money into it. Um, so mid $150,000 renovation, we lost 5,000 on a car. This is, this is, 
sorry, the mic was fritzing on me. This is going to be a little bit of a tough one to, to talk about because there's not the proper emojis uh, or reactions to what people are talking about because Amen. there's there's cringing going on, but I don't have a cringe one. The only thing I can do is laugh and that doesn't feel appropriate. So, uh, so I need an oof emoji. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, well, and you guys have sold that now. That's what I heard, right? I was... Yeah, yeah. We bought it for like 2500 put five into it, and sold it for 2500 gotcha. So we lost the five we put into it. Can you can you see uh, can you see getting into that in the future again or, or another car or done just completely done? Uh, no, and I actually this is what I wrote in my notes. I said in the end this lesson will save us money. We might have done we might have like dove headfirst into a different car project in the future that ended up costing us more. So because we're both car enthusiasts, we like going to car shows and things like that. And um, I think we might have made a bigger mistake in the future. So I think it's actually probably a good lesson that we learned and we learned it really quickly. Um, you know, we shouldn't have bought it. We did one thing to it. It wasn't enough. And we didn't, we didn't keep throwing money at it. Um, so I, I think overall it, it will be, end up being an okay decision that we, uh, you know, it, it'll be okay. Cause we, we learned from it. And that's like everything, whenever you make a financial mistake, as long as you learn from it, I just think it's like tuition on life, you know, and, that's how I look at, you know, the mistakes that I've made. And, and 5,000 is a lot. It was especially a lot at the time because of the huge reno we were doing. Um, but in like in the grand scheme of things, you know, it was, it well, we're fine. We bounced back immediately. So. <clears throat> yep. That's, um, that's a cheap lesson. If you look over the, over the long term of the life. Right. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, while it hurts and it's never cheap, any, any loss like that's never truly cheap, but, if you look and it saves you from bigger ones down the road, then it was worth it. So um, I love, love you enter yourself and then hear your story as well. Sure thing. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm the host of the Main Street Finance Podcast. And just to be a little bit confusing here, my Twitter handle is at Main Street Money because, you know, someone beat me to Main Street Finance. But, you know, life be like that sometimes. Um, so my biggest mistake... I've got to go with, so I have a degree in finance. I graduated cum laude and now of course I talk about personal finance, but exactly like six months before my first personal finance class or my first finance class, um, my car fragmented, uh, literally, apparently there was one part in my engine compartment that literally exploded, uh, and damaged a whole bunch of other bits under the hood. And so it just totaled. So I had to go get a new car. So I actually just told this story on uh, another podcast like last week. But uh, so I go to the car dealership, you know, just to look around. And of course, some kind of way I end up looking at new cars. And I'm about to sign on the dotted line to buy me a car. And then my mom decides to give me a speech. And this speech is essentially, Alex, everyone has something that they are looking for in a car. They either want it to be really comfortable or maybe they want it big enough to fit, you know, kids and uh, kids, friends, whatever. Maybe they want it to be off road so that they can go do that kind of stuff. Point is, everyone has that one thing that they want. And Alex, if the car you're about to buy doesn't have that one thing, 
you're going to be buying a new car again in two years because you're just going to hate your car. Every time you get inside the engine, it's going to suck. So she goes in and gives me this speech. Now, at the time, I'm, uh, I think, 22 years old and in college. What do you think the one thing I wanted was? Uh, I wanted the vroom. Uh, I wanted to go fast. So I end up getting my same car, but I end up upgrading to the six-cylinder edition, which gave me almost 300 horsepower which naturally there's a bunch of default add-ins that come in with that. So essentially my mom gave me this speech that talked me into basically paying an extra $10,000 for my car, uh, bought it brand new, 15 miles, 22 years old, uh, junior in college. And uh, what was it? It was about a $450 a month car payment. Ugh, I, I got a, uh, I'm going to say that one is uh, probably my number one biggest financial mistake. Do you still have it? Yes, that's actually uh, my solution. I was waiting for Curtis to ask me. But uh, yeah, so I've I've come around on this, and this might be a little uh, self-serving epiphany, because normally I'd say don't buy a new car, but that's me after having bought a new car. But Honestly, if you're going to buy a new car and the plan is to drive it for drive it into the ground, essentially, if you can buy a new car and drive it for seven, eight, nine, ten years, then maybe it's worth it because you bought it new. You know that you have you've gotten all of its maintenance. You've done all the oil changes. You've taken care of it. Hasn't been any crashes. And if you drive it for 10 years, why not? So when I actually discovered, you know, personal finance six months after I bought the car, I was like, okay, you know what? I got to pay this thing off. I ended up paying it off in two years. And now here I am, I want to say four years later, and I'm still driving it. Beautiful. So it's a, it's a, it's a lesson to learn, but you still, you've still gotten good use out of the car. We, I always kind of get a kick out of people that think, you know, their answer to why they bought a new car is, well, I needed something safe. And it's like, for the most part, you, you're going to be able to get a car that's safe if you're if you're getting a car that that is of reasonable age. And and I think um, I understand people make mistakes, but we we make justifications for ourselves all the time. So, um, but yeah, that's that's definitely something that's that a lot of people can relate to. There, Alex. Uh, we'll go to Justin, and then we'll go to Tom. Uh, so, Justin, let's. Uh, Introduce yourself, and let's hear um, your biggest financial mistake that you've made. Yeah, sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Nackville. I am the host of the Roads Wealth podcast. And like my fellow peers, um, with Curtis and you know the rest of the, the group here, and I'm sure everyone in the room, I, I've also made money mistakes. Um, so I'm a kind of mid-30s dad to uh, living here in the Chicago market. Um I was actually talking to Lauren the other day and I took a quick snapshot of our debt uh, snapshot back in 2016 and come to surprise our, our biggest debt was a combination of max credit cards between my wife and I. And I'm sure this story is fairly cliche for those that have carried credit card debt in the past or, you know, were serial spenders. And in some fashion, my wife and I still are, but we have it completely under control now. Clearly not, you know, six years ago, but we had about 32,000 across, let's count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven credit cards. 
um, all various balances and whatnot. We had um, furniture for when we bought our home. We had TVs, um, a random Target card. Um, but the biggest balance we had was around, I think my credit card was around 7,300 is what this thing says. And I recall, at least if I can rewind, you know, to those years, I went, uh, I split season tickets to our local professional basketball team here in Chicago, the Chicago Bulls. And it was great seats. We were mid-court in the 300 levels, I think row two. Um, and I remember I, we, I was just carrying the balance year after year. And if I remember correctly, um, we had a very prominent point guard by the name of Derek Rose. Um, he won the MVP, I think, in 2011. So I think ever since 2011, I, we had these seats. So, yeah, I had them for a while. And I just continued to split the seats with, with two other friends. Um, even though we had two seats, three of us split it. And our justification was, oh, the Bulls are great. You know, we can essentially watch the, the team for free and just, you know, resell the top, you know, the top team games because we would resell them at a higher margin. Um, but because um, our MVP kept, kept getting injured, um, the, the value of the tickets went down regardless because everyone wanted to go see him and, and the team. So we were actually losing money year after year after year. And I just, you know, that, that one certainly hurt because I just remember renewing these tickets and being the sole volunteer to say, yeah, we'll renew it. Just pay me back. And it was, it hurt. And um, yeah, I, I definitely quit those tickets after that year because um, we weren't doing so hot. So that was probably my, my biggest financial mistake. Did you at least get to go to some games out of that? We did. We did. But, um, you know, going to a sporting event is um, it's always challenging um, just because, you know, it's the parking, it's the food. Um, being in Chicago, Curtis, it, especially when basketball season's around, it's like right now it's cold. So um, it's, uh, you know, I've realized the older I've gotten, I appreciate watching the game in the comfort of my home with the food I've bought with the beer in my fridge versus the, you know, $10 a glass at, at, the, at the stadium. So, um, yes, I did see some games and they were entertaining, but not at the cost of, you know, uh, credit card and interest debt over the, over the years. I completely, I completely understand. I used to be a big going to games guy, but in the last number of years, that's kind of tapered off. Um, me and my buddy, we would used to buy the cheap seats and uh, and he would bring his binoculars and he'd look for seats in the, in the lower bowls that hadn't been um, used. And at the end of the first quarter, we would mosey on our way down. I never I never got why he brought the binoculars because I felt like that gave us away. But we only got turned around a couple of times. So, uh, I mean, we successfully got, you know, in the first 10 rows pretty much every time. And um, it was a fun, fun experience. So. Uh, but definitely wasn't trying to make money on those. So, all right. Well, for those that have joined, if we're talking our uh, biggest um, or I guess best stories or financial mistakes that we've made, um, we're going to be talking about like what some of the most common mistakes are uh, and then uh, ways to avoid them in the future. And so if anyone is interested in, in sharing that, uh, just jump uh 
request to speak and we will get you um, talking here in a minute. So we're going to go to Tom and then we're going to go to Finance Hippie uh, right after that. So Tom, if you want to kind of interrupt a little bit and then tell us about your your mistake. Absolutely. Hello, guys. Uh, my name is Tom Brickman. I'm the frugal gay. I am 39 years old um, from Dallas, Texas, and um, I am heavily invested in real estate, and I have a resale business called Closeout. I also um, recently left my nine-to-five, and um, I have a degree in marketing. Or I'm sorry, a degree in business with a concentration in marketing. Um from the University of Toledo. So my portfolio is split between Toledo, Ohio, and Dallas, Texas. I have two tied stories for you about rebounding from my financial mistakes. Um, one was when I was 22 years old, I had no business buying a property. I bought a house uh, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio uh, for 85000 Um I lost money on the property every year for the 10 years that I owned it. I sold it in 2015 um, at a loss. I lost uh, $22,000. I sold it for $63,000 when I sold it. Um, I had no business buying this. Um, my other story, I don't really share a lot because it's just kind of wrapping up. But um, in 2020, I purchased a duplex in Toledo, Ohio. Um, I have, it was supposed to be a six month renovation and I'm on month 13 right now. And I have spent last year, I spent almost, um, $93,000 renovating it with the initial budget being 45,000. Um, that one I really can say was emotional. I was sick of being in the house because of COVID. I wanted to be close to family. I wanted a house close to family. I bought it sight unseen and, um, it should appraise close to what I have into it, but it's still not done. And after 13 months and just every day, different contractors being paid and lead project and projects not being done and Home Depot calling me every day to do more sales. Like today I did a $283 sale. It's been exhausting. So I would not, if I could go back in time, I would not have made that emotional purchase in December of 2020. Um, it was definitely, I, I'm tired of being locked down. I want to be able to go visit family whenever I want to. Um, I will rebound from it because I have uh, 16 other doors that I collect rent from, but it was something that I should have never purchased and never went into with the, you know, I went in with 2020 numbers and what all the prices have done in 2021 and the beginning of 2022 I could have never foreseen, you know, the roof ended up being almost triple what the initial estimate was. And there were so many unknowns of like, you know, thousands of dollars worth of plumbing that was out in the yard that you didn't even know was leaking. And you couldn't have known that was leaking until the city came out and told us it was leaking because it wasn't hitting water bills. So I just went into it a little emotional and then I've stuck with it. So if I could go back and in time and redo either one of those purchases. Um, the 22,000 that I lost in 2015 kind of uh, makes the enormous overspent budget in 2021 look um, a whole lot, not that bad. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. Did, did you, have you bought anything before that was sight unseen? 
I have, and I did have my normal contractor go through and I had a property manager go through and I had an inspector go through. And some of them were just, you know, when I got the price for the the roof, it was that price in, in December of 2020, but I can't do a roof in Ohio in December of 2020. So when we started the roof of 2021, it was just, um, you know, the prices had significantly jumped and I'm not talking like 10%. Like I said, this was three times the initial price. So I, uh, I'm going up to the property tomorrow and I've got one unit done in the property now. So that will, it's going up for rent and the other one's going to be my first short-term rental. Um, so I'll get it over the finish line. And that's part of what, you know, when I, I, I didn't know how much I spent until I sat and had to face those numbers. And I'm like, Oh my God, I've actually spent $90,000 here this year. And it was just insane when you look at the numbers and look how much you've spent out. And, and is that crazy that you could spend 90,000 and not even realize you're, you're that far over until you like have to face those numbers? Yeah. Yeah, that's well, and I, I can, I'll tell my story here in a little bit, but it's a little bit similar to that, uh, but probably a little bit stupider than that. So um, finance hippie, let's, let's hear if you're willing and have one to share like all of us, I'm sure. Uh, hey guys, sure. Yeah. Uh, happy to, to speak here. I, I know I talked to a lot of you guys. Um, so for one, not, not a ton of financial mistakes. I remember Lauren one time mentioned, uh, how, Oh, you've never been in debt. The, you know, it doesn't make us worse, but I've always just been against debt, especially consumer debt and, and, you know, been frugal my whole life. So kind of stayed away from some of those bigger financial mistakes. Um, you know, I could talk about stocks. I feel like that's not kind of what people are interested here. So I'm going to talk about a little uh, small business venture that I was trying to do. Um, so I had this idea to create these like mini pocket jumpers um, back back in the day. If you ever seen them, they're just like small um, battery battery backups, and it has a uh, it could tr- also like jump your car. So when I first saw it like 10 years ago, I'm like, oh wow, this is really cool. I didn't really do anything with it when they weren't popular. A few years later, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try this thing. So I, 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 you know, went through Alibaba. I, you know, had a cool little logo with, you know, pockets. And it's um, coming out of your pocket, you know, just to make it, you know, fun and try to brand it. So I ordered from Alibaba. I didn't realize shipping was going to be over sellers just, you know, eating into profits just to get the product to come to me. You know, I created the website, listed it on the website. You know, you're not getting much... Uh, much um, traffic there. You really have to drive traffic. So driving traffic costs a lot of money. You're going to eat into profits. So you know you kind of go to eBay or 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 other type of um, services. I couldn't get it on Amazon, so I went with eBay. First of all, it had a lithium battery battery in it. So shipping anything with a lithium battery was also extra expensive. Uh, you know, adding another ten dollars per per chip, just eating eating into my my margins. So at a certain point, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to sell this thing and, and losing money <laughs> per, per, per item. But here I have 100, 100 units in, you know, my parents' basement. Um, so, you know, but either way, I, I was able to, you know, keep making some sales. Uh, you know, occasionally I was still able to make, you know, five, ten dollars, you know, on each one. But then I got one bad review for some reason. And then. I just couldn't sell anything again on, on eBay. It, it was just terrible. Uh, and then once I lost eBay, you know, 
I still had maybe 85 units left. It's like, all right, what am I going to do with these? How am I going to, you know, get my money back? Uh, I already, you know, spent money on, on the website, on hosting, on, on, you know, the actual item. Uh, and I just couldn't sell it. Uh, when you ha- it's hard to, to go and, and drop these items off at a, like a wholesaler or like a um, discount type of store because it is somewhat of an electronic product. So I learned my lesson. Like if I was going to redo it, I'd rather sell, you know, mugs or something that isn't, doesn't require um, true, you know, it has to work, you know, always that you, 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 you know, they know they're, they're comfortable with, with buying because they know it works. It's a mug. How is a mug not going to work? The pocket jumper, there's just so much more, uh, more to it. <laughs> um, so at a certain point, I kind of gave up. I'm like, all right, these 85 are just going to sit. I'm just going to take, you know, it's a few, not, not, not crazy amount of money you know, probably a few grand or so in, in inventory and then just sat in my parents' basement uh, for, for years, to be honest, just sitting there, you know, every time I go there, they're, they're always just like, you know, you're going to ever get rid of these things. And I just didn't know what to do with it. Every time I, I came to visit them, you know, it, it was always a, a sore, sore topic. <laughs> um, and then I got lucky this past maybe year or, or two years, uh, I think it was 2020, I went to stay with my parents for about, you know, a few weeks or so. And I decided to list them on Facebook, Facebook Marketplace, um, a little bit of a discount, you know, kind of at cost. I didn't have to worry about shipping. Um, and, and they started selling like rocket fire. It was crazy, you know. So, yes, I was selling them at cost. But to me, I already in my head, I already, you know, uh, wrote it off and I'm never going to get this money back. And it, it, two, three, five of them like for gifts and who knows what i was like wait maybe maybe there is something here you know uh, that's found money right there yeah exactly so i was like oh, i came here got a couple grand like i i recouped most of my most of the money that i thought i lost and like you know at the end like one guy i think bought the rest of it like bought like 40 of like the last 40 of them and uh i got rid of all those things it was i i never thought it was going to happen like there was a few year hiatus where i didn't sell any and then i, I ended up you know uh getting my money back um so I've learned a lot of lessons. Don't, don't deal with lithium batteries. And my, you know, one of my things that going into it, at least a lot of the money I spent was on inventory. And when you have the inventory, it's, it's, you know, book value. So there's still a cost. So hopefully you can still sell that. There's still some, something there. Although even though I had trouble selling it in the long run, I was able to, you know, to get rid of them. And altogether, I might have broken even like just, not really lose or make anything just put a lot of work into it uh but hey you know i i definitely learned learned some good lessons there lauren did you have a question i had a question for tom to what we just said how big of a deal are reviews on ebay like i mean they're a huge deal. I give people free stuff all the time just to the negative feedback. And eBay really, I mean, you can get certain stuff removed, but with makeup, when I sell it and they order the wrong color and they want to return it, I have to throw it away. So I really don't like taking it. But reviews are huge. And and, and Finance Hippie is right. Once you get that one or two bad reviews, uh, your your ranking goes down, your sales decrease so it's worth taking the hit to not get the bad review versus um letting the bad review hit you and just kind of destroy your sales finance hippie was that your first and last time to to do that 
uh, or would you sell stuff again? Yeah. So for one, I have a lot of like things in the back of my head that I need to get out of my system and then I can move on to the next. So I'm definitely happy I did that and got it out. Uh, I probably wouldn't try anything like this again. Uh, I would have to be a little more creative and, and definitely <laughs> uh, probably not really electronic. Um, and, you know, as Tom was saying, when I, I knew I was going to get that bad review and if I was truly, if I had a business and, and I, I, things were, if I had more traction, I probably would have tried to, you know, pay that person not to write a bad review or, or something along those lines. But since this was kind of dwindling down and, and my sales wasn't great, I wasn't really trying to build a brand at that time uh, that I just kind of took a hit. And I didn't realize, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into with that, that bad review and how, how truly my sales were just completely just, you know, hit rock bottom uh, on eBay. But uh, definitely, you know, as Tom was saying, it's <laughs> so important. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks for sharing that. That's that's an interesting story. Good story. Um, we'll let um, Mr. October, thanks for joining us. I'll let um, you go ahead and, and you can, if you have a story, I'm assuming, uh, you can speak to that. Are you there? Sure. Okay. Sure. I mean, I, I can. Hi, guys. Uh, interesting stories. My, my story, it, it's pretty similar to uh, the frugal game. You know, I think, you know, as, as a real estate investor, Beginning with industry, let's say 2017. Um, and it's, you know, the proverbial trusting the guy that with a tool belt <laughs> and a smile on his face, pretty much. Um, I was new to the game. I, you know, been in corporate America for about 16, 17 years, thinking, speaking to someone or delegating a task at work has the same sort of, I will get, I guess, method as speaking to a contractor, I was totally off. So, you know, for, for, for the record, I actually worked with this guy before on an FHA, FHA loan project. And he, he, you know, he actually converted on the requirements and, and the scope of the project. Uh, but I think it was more so because, you know how when you get an FHA loan, the bank doesn't release funds until the work is done. So I think he was hanging on to that towards he needed to make sure the work was done. So he did an exceptional job. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm getting, I got lucky here, right? Like, this is going to be my guy. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. So, you know, we had a pretty decent relationship. Uh, so I, I, you know, the following year, uh, maybe even the same year, I bought another property, cash, in the Hudson Valley area of New York, um, it was a three-family unit. I was pumped. Uh, I said, "I said we'll I have another project for you. You know, it's going to probably require, you know, close to eighty to hundred grand worth of work." Look, I'm not going to. You did a great job for me in this one. So this is a bigger project. You know, the whole proverbial "yes, yes, yes, I'll do it whenever you want it." Blah blah blah, whatever. I said, "All right, fine." So he says to me, "Look, I'm going to need X amount of money. I think he needed like five grand." up front and I said, look, I can't, I can't out of respect, let's respect each other. I can't give you five grand up front. I'll give you three. So, you know, so you can get your guys going, you know, nothing in writing, no scope, you know, mind you, I'm a certified PM, right? So I went against everything that I believe on, right? In terms of having things in writing, <laughs> like I'll blame a hundred percent myself 
Because it's one of those things where, like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I'm a certified PM. I know how to write a scope of work. I know how to write, con- you know, uh, some sort of contract. I know how to put, you know, uh, contingencies in place. Why didn't I do this with this guy, right? So whatever, it is what it is. I gave that, I cut the check. Kid you not. To get that guy to go into that house, it was, it was as if he didn't even, I didn't even know who he was. It was like, dude, I need you to go. When are you going to start the work? Oh, I'm gonna be there next week. Mind you, he's already has three grand. He already has three thousand dollars of my money, which is you know the, the 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 grand scheme of the work was about eighty grand, I think, worth the work the house needed, about sixty to eighty grand. But I wanted to get it done and get it rented because as, as anyone who's a real estate investor here understands that time is the essence. The, the, the longer you have a project going, you're losing money. Even even though if the project is moving, you're actually losing money if you don't get that property rented and put it in a payroll, right? And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. I'm like, my guy, look, I need to get this rented. I'm paying taxes. I'm paying, you know, utility bills on this on this project. I, I need you to get going. To make a long story short, um, I think we ended up breaking ties. Uh, he, he, did a, he did very poor work for me in the basement, very poor. Like I had another guy come in, like a, a two-certified contractor come in, and everyone knows this when you when you get that second contractor or even third or fourth because I've been to three or four of them not on this project but in several other projects when you get that second contractor come in he's criticizing the work of your first contractor that pisses you off even more so now you want to grab the first contractor (laughs) and like (laughs) you want to go to his home address and probably strangle him right because you're like what you know have this guy tell him you did a shitty job or whatever it is so um you know, that was a, a lesson learned for me. Um, never again. Every project after that has been, uh, I've been very, so, you know, the naughty investor, if you will, I hate to use those terms, but it's been where the minute I met with a contract, I'm, you know, we're working on several projects out of state now. And it's been like, I cannot have you start my project until you sign my contract. Oh, I can start tomorrow. What part of you signing my contract did you not understand? Like, did you read my contract? I need you to sign my contract, and then we can start the, we can select a date for, for you to start the project. I decide when you start. You don't decide when you start, right? So it's been that, that experience, those lessons learned. Um, I know three grand is not, a, is not a large amount of money, but for me starting out at the time, um, you know, sort of being, being a penny pincher, it was a lot of money for me. So, um, and don't trust a contractor that can tell you way. Don't trust a contractor that can tell you this is, I can get my two guys to finish this job when it's a demo job. You know what I mean? Like these are those terms that they use to kind of get the new guys or the newbies um, all intertwined. But yeah, that, that's my story. I have several others, but I just don't because they're, they're, they're not worth in terms of, uh, they haven't been big losses. It's been like trial and errors. Like I started companies and failed. Um, but I think those are kind of like you're trying to find yourself. Like I had a clothing company, but I wasn't good at fashion. So really like, did I did I lose money or did I just try something and and figure out something that I'm not good at, right? So, um, but I'm still an investor. I'm doing great things now as an investor, as a real estate investor, as my main business. Uh, and and I've, I'm airtight when it comes to my contracts and my scope of works and my. Of course, things happen, like uh, the fool uh, person. I mean, and, and uh, things like that has happened to me as well. Where you know, I estimate sixty grand for a project. It's going to be at 70 grand or 75 grand. Uh, you, you put those contingencies in place. You have no control of the price of lumber or the price of 
you know, serving certain materials, but you live and you go forward. Um, just kind of sucks, really. Um, but I, I totally empathize. When you said when you shared your story, I was kind of like, I I've been in that situation before. It's like you don't want to look at the at the bottom line number after six, eight months, nine months. You're like, wait a minute, did I just give the guy sixty grand? And there's still thirty, forty grand left of work, you know, to be done. So um, I've been there, but uh, just kind of <laughs> just kind of move forward, take it in the chin, and move forward. That's a great. That's a good story. That's and and that three thousand probably saved you from a bigger one road, you know. And so while it's it hurts at that moment, man, it's it uh, it definitely. I mean, three thousand is nothing to sneeze at. I don't care who you are, right? So um, no one wants to throw that away. So I appreciate that story. For those that have joined, we're sharing um, some real estate mistakes or not real. Sorry, real estate mistakes. I'm I'm about to share a real estate mistake that I made. Um, and then uh, as we move on, we'll be talking about ways to the most common mistakes that people make um, and then how to uh, avoid those mistakes. And so if you're interested in sharing uh, a story that you have, feel free to request and, and we can have you jump on the stage and share, share your story as well. So I'm going to go ahead and share mine and, um, and then we'll kind of move on to the next question and, and can kind of even take your questions throughout. So um, appreciate everyone that is here. So for me, uh, it started with we I, we had been married. I'd been married to my wife for a couple of years, and the house that we were in was a house that I had bought myself before we got married. And so she just didn't have the same feeling of ownership that I had to that house. And so uh, we were not necessarily having to have a new house, but we just decided it was time to move. I'd lived there. Um, for six, seven years at that point. And so we were, we were ready to, to move. And I agreed to that. So I was looking for houses and, and I came across a, a house in a neighborhood that I was looking to get into because I felt like it was an up and coming neighborhood that a lot of appreciation going on the houses. And the house was actually under sheriff cell, which if you're not familiar with the sheriff cell, it's where, uh, You've either defaulted on a mortgage or taxes, and it's now in possession uh, of the government. And so you've got to go down in these sheriff's cells is where they auction those houses off. So I decided that I was going to go to the sheriff's cell. I'd never been to one before. And so uh, because I'd never been to one, my dad was in between jobs. And I said, I invited my dad with me, which I thought was a great idea, which was my very first mistake. So when we get to that sheriff's cell, we are, I, I'm running late and my dad is already there. So he says, hey, just come on in. There was a bunch of people. They had a sheets up against the wall in the back. And um, there were a lot of people standing in line there. And he goes, I know what number yours is, blah, blah, blah. And so I go in. And uh, my house or supposed house was... Uh, number three on the block apparently. And so I get there, we're still not even really knowing how this thing goes and I'm bidding on this house and I'm thinking it's going to go up uh, pretty substantially. I think I was ready to spend about 80 to $90,000 in the state that it was in. And we were going to, you know, redo it and all these things. And, um, and I'm just bidding and I'm bidding and it's me and one other guy and, 
I get the winning bid to this house. And I think it ended up being something like $68,000. So I am fired up. I'm pumped up. Like I'm thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just made a killing on this thing. And I go to the back to call my wife. And when I go to the back to call my wife, I um, look at the sheet and I realize the house that my dad had me bidding on was the same address number, but not the same street. And so I had just bid on and, and technically won a house that, that was not even the right house. And the one that I won on when I looked it up, it was in a horrible spot. It was uh, just, just a horrible house, horrible thing. So on tilt. So um, this, is my, this is where the excuses come in. So I go sit back down, tell him it's the wrong house. And he, you know, we're both kind of in shock. When my house comes up, it went over that I was planning on going to um, and wasn't going to be able to, um, to, to make that financially. And then we're about three-fourths of the way through, through the auction, and my dad didn't say anything, hadn't made, said a word, and my dad starts bidding on a house. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, have you? And he goes, I said, did you look at the house? And he said, no, I didn't look at the house. It just I looked it up on Zillow. It looked a nice area. So he's bidding on this house. And I think he was just bored out of a job, wanting something to do. And so he ends up winning this house, sight unseen, everything from us, literally just looked it up on Zillow. And he says, well, do you want to go look at it? So we drive over there. We, you know, go look, start looking in the windows, trying to get into the house. And, and um, he, he asked me, do I want to go in on the house with them? Do we want to flip the house together? And I said, you know, I've always thought it'd be interesting and fun to do. So I said, why not? Let's, let's flip the house. So this was in, uh, I think this was in July. And so, uh, to, to kind of, I guess, get to the punchline here, I was able to get out of the house that I bid on unintentionally. So I didn't have that financial obligation anymore. So I, I, what I thought was horrible and what would put me on tilt was just a good lesson of don't bid on the wrong house. But now I'm in this uh, flip with my dad. And so we uh, decided that we looked at everything that needed to be done. We have done construction stuff, so we felt pretty confident. And because he was out of a job, he was going to work on it, and we were going to hire some people, and I was going to work on it. And, um, and so um, I took a stake in the house. And when, when I looked at like our financial situation, I had some cash, but I was really not wanting to, to use that cash because we were still looking for a house. So I was thinking I wanted to hold that cash back. But I thought, you know, I have this, I have this Roth IRA sitting over here and we're going to be done with this by the end of the year. So if I pull this money out of the Roth, and I can deposit it back in in the same tax year, I'm good. I'm golden. I don't need to, you know, uh, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to, you know, I don't have to, I'm not going to be technically pulling it out. I can just deposit back in what I pulled. And so we're working on the house. And as is always the case, those things take longer than you think. And uh, when I was still optimistic in early November, we put in a contract for our own house that was a that was needing a lot of work as well. And so then my cash was gone, but we're still in this flip house. So we did not, we did not sell the house until June of the next year. And that meant that 
the money that I'd taken out of my Roth was no longer able to be put back in my Roth IRA because obviously you're limited by the 6,000 and you can pull, you know, you can pull those contributions out. But once you go past that tax year, there's not um, a function to be able to put that back in. And so um, I removed $31,000 off. And then I was only able to put 12,000 back in because that was the, the limit for me and my wife in that year. So to make matters worse, we did make a little bit of money on the flip house. I think we rec- returned about 15 to 20%. But for that same time period, if I left my money in the market, the S&P 500 returned 13.9%. So I gained about a percentage point on the S&P for that experience. And then I lost out on the gap of that um of that additional, you know, the money I was unable to put back in. And I did the math a couple ago. And if I had left that money in today, um, that $19,000 would be worth $76,000. So it hurt to, to do that math and figure that out because it was a great learning lesson and something that I, I would never do again. Uh, but it, it just shows that making a kind of Tom's point of making that a decision emotionally and not really using a good logical framework um, to, to make that decision. So that is, that's my story. That's where, um, that's where we came from on that. And, and uh, like I said, I will, I will never do that again. I've learned my lesson, but it's going to be a big lesson. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to track what the numbers are going to be going forward. I'm just going to forget that. I'm going to delete that out of my mind because if I, if I look at that over, over a retirement period, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be cringing at myself. So, uh, so anyway, so if there's any to share a story that would, that would like to, to join us in our pain up here, then feel free to request the mic. But for now, we're going to move on to the next question. And that question is, is what are some of the most common um, financial mistakes that you see people make from your experience and um, let, just kind of talk about, you know, what, what that looks like and ways to potentially avoid making those same mistakes. And so if you, instead of just going around the horn, uh, if you just raise your hand, if you're interested in answering this question, and then we will just kind of go in order of the raised hand. So Lauren, go ahead. I think the biggest mistake that people make is payment shop for their vehicles. And I think it's really easy for people to say, okay, I spend X amount on my car, but that can be like $300 a month for three years is totally different than $300 a month for six or seven years or however long you can finance a car now. And it also makes it, I think, very easy to never pay off your car right? And then to just roll right into another new car, another new car, another new car. And there's, I think depreciation is not what it used to be. It seems to me personally that new cars and used cars are kind of, you know, coming together a little bit, probably because of the internet. But even without the depreciation, I just, I see so many people roll into a new car because they're used to having payments and they'd rather have payments than cares. 
And I think that is just faulty logic all around because, I mean, if you're paying, say, $300 a month times 12 months, and $300 is, frankly, a very low car payment nowadays, but that's $3,600 a year. I mean, I see people trading in, trading in cars 80, 90,000 miles because they're, quote, unquote, about to have a repair. I don't think it's going to equal 3600 a year. I just don't. So that's kind of the biggest mistake I see, and I see it constantly, all the time. Yep, that's that's a huge one, and this this is a pet peeve of mine because um, I have a car that's now over two hundred thousand miles. It's a two thousand one, and I got into a wreck last year, and um, that wreck head on not not head on like that. I I rear-ended a guy coming to a full stop on a highway, and that rear ending with body damage in the front while I didn't correct all the body damage to get everything back aligned and in place didn't even cost me $2,000. And so it's a huge fallacy to say, Oh, I'm going to take this payment just to, just to avoid. So yeah, I can, I totally agree. So Alex, let's hear what, hear what you think. Well, honestly, uh, Lauren robbed me there. I was going to say cars period, but uh, I mean, as far as what, what mistakes do I see regularly? Cars, every time. Now, I, I know I've said this just about every time we've met, but I'm still pretty sure I'm the youngest person of the regular hosts here. I'm uh, 26 years old, so a lot of my friends are you know, within two, three years of having graduated college, and you've got that fallacy of, I graduated college, I've got my first job, you know what I'm going to do? My very first thing, I'm going to go buy a car. And you know they're not buying the five-year-old car. Like, you know they got to buy new because I deserved it. I worked so hard, like, cheating on all these exams and staying up all night studying the night before, writing this paper in 20 minutes. Like, I earned this $40,000 car. And then not only going and buying those cars, but then getting bored with those cars. And then you buy a new one within 24 months because it got old. And then you roll in that negative balance because of the depreciation into your next loan and then so on and so forth. And then of course there's what Lauren mentioned with all the payments and it's just, it's just nonsense. It is something I see with a lot of my friends. It is utterly ridiculous. I have a friend that I follow on Snapchat just so I can cringe. That man has gone through four different pickup trucks in I think the last like two years. It's, it's, Cars. Cars is the short answer. Yeah, you see those people that just have a new one. And and let's let's add here, you know, we're talking about some of the most common um, mistakes or biggest mistakes that we think people can make. If you feel like there's a mistake that you've either made today or is something in your past and you're wanting to get some advice, we would love to be able to to try and help people in that too. So we won't shame anyone that's made a mistake. That was part of the reason for us sharing our mistakes is because we all make them. And it's just a matter of rebounding from those mistakes because even with a big mistake, there's enough time for, I think I would say probably all of us on here to, to be able to make that up by the time you're going to need that money um, in the future. So Justin, you were next, and then uh, we had Finance Hippie and then Mr. October. So, Justin, go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to piggyback off of both you know, what Alex and, and Lauren are talking about, and, and not necessarily around cars, but just the consumer mentality with the buy now, pay later. I think many um, companies online, like your direct-to-consumers, 
and I'm only sharing this story strictly because it's within you know the circle that I'm around with, with friends. Um, it seemed as though with you know going into the pandemic, um, everyone needed a, a an avenue to exercise, and guess where everyone went? Everyone bought Pelotons. Um, I'll even raise my hand. I bought one too, but we paid ours in cash. Um, and with many of the friends that you know have bought, they're they're financing and paying it off. Now, granted, it's you know whatever zero percent or however these buy now pay later companies like a firm are operating. But I feel like that's a very prevalent normalcy now with online buying. Is you know you could buy this three thousand dollar machine for x right uh 60 bucks a month or whatever um but you know recently I've, I've heard news that you know many of these you know smaller boutique buy now pay later firms um those inquiries in your credit will eventually now be reflected within your credit score and you know similar to how lauren was describing you know stretching out the car you know people are buying your 70 80 car because they're taking you know what What's the loan terms now that we're seeing, you know, close to eight years on financing a car. And I feel like just the whole concept of payments and, you know, buying things on credit to afford your lifestyle now is a very, uh, very prevalent thing. And I, I feel like with, there is a, a huge opportunity for us, especially within these spaces to really talk about, you know, do you need to pay in cash or you know do you want to finance it like I, I think there's certain things you can you can certainly finance obviously like a home or investment property but for consumable things i i, I don't subscribe to you know stretching that payment out for sometimes six seven years for a three thousand dollar thing as an example great yeah great point we we a lot of times will uh look at these things as a one-off situation but what ends up happening is people are stacking these payments and so it's hard to just answer well, sure, let's do Peloton for for 0% for this many months. But if Peloton's your 10th payment, then it's a completely different conversation. So uh, Finance Hippie, let's, uh, you had your hand up, assuming you still want to chat. Yep, sure. Um, so, yeah, car is definitely a big one. Uh, I know, you know, they have the whole latte factor. Everybody loves to talk about your coffee and, and all that. Obviously, coffee is a small, um, you know, a small priced item. It's not going to make or break you. But what I see, you know, my friends or different people, honestly, is, just, is, is food, is dinner. Ordering out and, and never making home, not going to, to Costco or Sam's Club, these things truly, truly add up. I mean, if you're spending, you know, $15, $20, you know, on dinner every night, and that's only dinner. I'm sure if you're doing that for dinner, you're also ordering out, you know, for lunch, you know, maybe breakfast you get at home. But I, I, a lot of my friends are, you know, spending $20 more than me a day on, on food, $20, you know, a day, that's, you know, six, seven grand, seven grand, seven grand a year, you know, <laughs> that's a lot, uh, especially for most people, especially when you're young, when you're in your, in your early twenties, when you're people in their early twenties are the ones, you know, biggest corporates, cause they, they don't know how to cook. They, they're not responsible enough to go shopping and, and to keep the food, you know, on hand and, they always wonder why they have no money compared to me. We're both making the same, but I'm out there spending, you know, two, $3 on a nice home cooked meal. You're spending, you know, 15, $20 on a, it probably tastes good, but probably not, not healthy meal that you're ordering. And those things, you know, they add up. And, and as you said, yeah, just, you know, doing it once or twice or once in a while, you know, not a big deal. 
you know, in any given day, not a big deal. But when you start doing that every single day or, you know, five, six days a week, it adds up, man. And, and it makes a difference. You, you, you know, Curtis, you talked about, you know, your opportunity cost of, of investing in S&P 500. And it's the same thing. You take that seven grand every year, you know, you're investing that. Oh, man, the pain is even worse for those people. <laughs> For sure, for sure, and it's the it's death by a thousand cuts with food because it's just this decision today to go eat tomorrow or to eat today, but then that turns into four or five days a week, and then that can get real expensive real quick. So, mm-hmm. great one, great one. Um, all right, Mister October, let's let's hear. Yeah, I think you guys brought up some great points. I think um, <clears throat> what I what I see a lot is, um, <clears throat> and I see it amongst friends and even family to some degree, right? So I, I've, I've grown up to be like the frugal one in my family amongst my my siblings. You know, it's like, don't don't ask, don't ask him for money. You know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to lend you anything. He never has money, right? So I've, I've been that guy at the dinner table in our conversations. But I see a lot, you know, to, to me, it's like a lot of lifestyle creep, right? Um, you can certainly have your money allocated in certain areas, whether it's food or, or coffee. There's a, there's a good book I read, I want to say a few years ago, um, called I Will Teach You I Will Teach You to Be Rich, right? Where, where he talks about things I agree with. Uh, the author's name is, um, what was his name? Ramit Sethi, I believe it is. If I'm pronouncing Sethi, correctly. Yeah. Sethi, right. The guy outlines it perfectly. You know, a lot of things in a book I was, you know, I, I, I do and I've been doing before the book, but, you know, he, the way he, he outlines it is, you know, and I don't want to knock financial hippie. You're absolutely healthy food, dining outside, those things, you know, from an opportunity course perspective. Yes, they cost money. You don't, you know, you got to make sure you, you, you sort of cut back on these, on these things. But he makes mention of, you know, not buying a Starbucks is not going to make you not wealthy, right? So it's, it's just sort of allocating your money where it should be and having that financial literacy. But I think lifestyle creep, I'm making fifty thousand dollars this year. I'm gonna get another job that makes me eighty thousand. You know what? I'm gonna lease a car because I have another three hundred bucks in my account, right? So I think that happens more often than not, and more so now with social media, where you see everyone just post their wins on social media. No one really posts their losses. No one really posts their negative balances. It's you know, I mean, a winery in Francisco, or my friends went to a wedding in Greece and, you know, and all these different things. And you want to sort of keep up with that lifestyle. And that to me is what I've seen. I mean, to me, I don't, I can care less, but honestly, but family of mine and friends of mine, usually when we have these conversations, it's like, Oh, you know, you're cheap. I'm not, I don't necessarily care about keeping up with anybody. That's, that's, that's my, probably my problem. Your problem is that you want to keep up with these people and you have no idea whether they have 14 streams of income and you have two, right? So it, it's, having that, it's having sort of that mentality where you have to kind of familiarize yourself with financial literacy, allocate your funds, invest your funds for passive income. Um, so in a nutshell, lifestyle creep. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good one to hit on. I appreciate you sharing that one. Uh, if anyone is in here and they're interested, we're talking, um, we shared earlier our biggest financial mistakes. And so if you would like to share something, you missed some good stories. And then uh, next we're going to be, we're, we're currently talking about what are some of the most common or the, the worst mistakes that you see. So Kenny is up 
next. And then we got uh, Jason up after that. So Kenny, uh, thanks for joining us. Let's, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Curtis. Thanks uh, everybody for giving me the mic. Um, I, it's, it, I think it's just the lifestyle. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too personal. Um, I was going to say coffee, but <laughs> I know, I know I see some tweets about you, you, you can, you're going to be a millionaire if you don't buy coffee. I mean, it's true, but those small expenses, but like they add up real quick, like, especially like the previous speaker say, if you're making like 50 K and you're spending like $10 on coffee every day, I mean, it's going to add up. And if you know, trying to increase your income, um, it's, it's going to cripple you. Um, but, but, the, but the biggest picture is just, you know, you know, Curtis, I, I'm not, I'm not American. So I, I like, I like to use that perspective so that people understand. Um, so I, I grew up in a poor country where just going in a restaurant is a luxury. Like I can't count, you know, with, you know, my fingers, how many times I went to a restaurant back home, right? It, it was because, you know, it was a party or an anniversary and it's not something that you do on a regular. Um, and then I think that when you, you know, the, the lifestyle, like you can, you, you get everything easily. Like it's just there. It's a convenient thing. So you get to the lifestyle and you, you want to spend more, right? Like, so to me, for instance, it doesn't make sense for me, you know, when now I'm working from home, but what I was going to the office, it didn't really make sense for me just to go to work without my food and I'm going to buy food. I'm like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why don't you just cook your meal? It's healthy and, you know, it's, it's, it's cheaper. Like, I don't know, but like, you know, like, do you feel the need to buy food every day? Like, it, it doesn't make sense. So, and, and if you go to, um, like, people changing electronics every year on, you know, on, um, you know, Black Friday and, like, do you need to change your TV every year? Like, do you really need to buy your iPhone every year? Like, what's going on? Like, it's, it's just the fact that people have it so easy. It's convenient. And then because you know, you know, you are also allowed to borrow because, you know, where I'm from, like, if you don't have cash, you can buy anything like to, to have to buy something, you got to have money. So here you have credit card, you have personal loans, people stretch, right? Like they feel like they have the power, they have the, the means to get anything they want. And I think if, if you're not too careful and not too disciplined, sometimes you can get lost and um, and the lifestyle and the way of living impressing people, um, comparing, you know, you know, oh, my, my friend has this, so I need to get this to impress it. All of those things, when you add them together, and especially if you don't have a budget, like they, they're going to catch up to you. So I want to just, you know, to, it was something that I wanted to bring up and maybe, you know, we can reflect upon that and then do better. Um, so yeah, thanks, Curtis. Yeah, Kenny, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm totally with you on that. I, food is expensive. So I only eat once every three days. Cause I just feel like that's the best way to save money. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely on board with you on that. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Mr. October, you, you now have two, both finance hippie and Kenny against you. Do you have any, do you have any rebuttal to, uh, to what they said? <laughs> I stand corrected, man. I, I think they have great points. Uh, look, look, you know, Excellent. I don't disagree with any of it, right? Um, 
I, I just think people have to make personal choices that work for them. There's no hard, fast rule. There's no hard and fast rule, right? So someone says allocate 30% of their money to making money for them or reinvesting those funds and like to buy Starbucks three times a week. I mean, but for the conventional person that's not financially literate or what I I assume Mr. Kenny and financial hippie were alluding to, I would assume, I have no debate. I agree with you guys 100%. Those small expenses like subscription services, coffee, eating out, unnecessarily not buying food, not food prepping, um, having a gym membership and you don't even go to the gym, like those things, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you, I'm with, you know, I'm not, I have no rebuttal. So you, you guys are absolutely correct in that. Uh, I'm just trying to create a little bit of, I'm just trying to create a little <laughs> bit of tension up here. So, so I appreciate, no, and I, I think we're all right in this, right? Because like, what they're talking about is it's this unknown spending. It's a spending that we're not doing out of intention. And so that's where a lot of people have the problem is that they're spending without intention consistently. And then they wonder they don't have enough money to put away for whatever they're trying to put money away for them. So absolutely a hundred percent. So Jason, let's uh, let's hear what you jumped up or you're next on the list. So, what um, what's your perspective on this? Hey, Curtis, uh, thanks for uh, put, hosting the spaces. Um, you know, I'm going to throw out a, a, a different type of, uh, I guess, financial mistake. Um, you know, I am sharing from personal experience. I have always been pretty financially literate um, and decent with money. But I think a lot of people do this where they're not terrible with money, but they find themselves you know, in their 30s or in their 40s, and they realize that, you know, they're not as far along as they need to be or that they'd like to be. But they haven't made any like, you know, they're not putting everything on credit cards. They're not making those mistakes. Um, For me, what it was, was, you know, I in my, I don't know, late, I guess, mid 30s, um, I had, you know, built up a little bit of a cushion, a good enough cushion to leave my nine to five job, did a startup for about four years. The first 18 months, I drained all of my um, non-retirement funds. This came down to zero. Um, and then I found myself in this situation where, you know, I am further along and I lost a little bit of time. And how do I make that up? And I think the, the reason why I bring that up is it's a different kind of financial mistake. It wasn't that I didn't have the financial literacy, but I think the important piece there for folks that might be in in that situation is to know like for me, what it was, was pairing a very high income, if you're able to increase your income through whatever means you're able to do and getting super serious about a budget, you can accelerate and you can make up so much time Um, And so I'm in my I was in my maybe mid 30s when I almost went to zero. But I think that, you know, the rate at which I am making up time is super fast. And so I think that even if you're financially literate and you made some mistakes by either starting too late or, you know, making a, a sound investment like starting a business or something and it doesn't work out and you find yourself back to square one 
at you know 35 or something there are there are things that you can do there where you can reimplement some of your financial literacy but if you get super serious about the budget and super serious about jacking up your income it's it's totally feasible to get caught right back up and your velocity and your acceleration is so fast you potentially surpass what you would have in my case I think I'm surpassing what I would have done if I didn't make that financial mistake because the the slope of my trajectory is is, is pointed upward more. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Is a lot of times these mistakes can catapult us to the next thing. You know, they they talk about um, they talk about you know like when you have an index fund that's self cleansing because the worst you know gets dropped from that index fund. Well, you could say the same thing about income, right? is income is cleansing because it washes away those mistakes that you made initially. So in, you know, the combination of income and getting really strict about your budgeting habits um, can really take mistakes and just um, really pulverize them and make them almost, um, almost not mean anything, you know, and, and you can still get the lesson from it. So it's a great, great lesson. Uh, for me, and if anyone wants to jump up, I'm going to kind of talk about mine and then you can jump up. If you have a mistake that you've made that you would like help with, we, we might be able to help you in some ways. Um, now, obviously, any actions are up to you. Any responses are up to you. But maybe with some of our experience, we, would, um, we might be able to give you a little bit different perspective. But for me, they're kind of twofold for me is, is I think the biggest mistakes that people make, and I'm mainly speaking for people that um, I, I actually thought of this from the perspective of people that are already doing some of the financial things that they want to. Cause I think in general, there's a lot of people out there that have the tools, but don't take advantage of the tools. But I think the biggest mistakes that um, people that are already financially literate take is or make is maintaining kind of unused services or things that they're not using because you're literally just you know washing those those dollars down the drain because you're just not being attentive to your financial life so for me that's one of those is is i think if you look at the things that people are paying for in the way of subscriptions um, in the way of services that they're not using uh, memberships that they have that there's a lot of people that are just, you know, putting money down the toilet. But I think probably this is actually, I think for anyone, this is the biggest, and this is anyone trying to, um, trying to make a change to their finances is it's doing something that's unsustainable. So it's cutting out all the fun or cutting out all the margin in your budget. Because when, when you do things that are totally unsustainable, you um, end up, going in a hole. And I think the more you go in that hole, the more likely you dig a deeper, uh, dig a deeper ditch the next time. And so for me, that's something that when we're looking at trying to help people make better financial decisions, that you want to make sure that we're cutting all of the fun or cutting all of the, the breathing room out of it. Because if you do that, they've been in a hole and maybe they're digging out, but then they make a mistake and now they're falling to the bottom of that initial hole and they're digging a little bit more. And so I think I've seen this in a few cases because like I said, I taught some um, Dave Ramsey and finance classes 
for a handful of years. Um, and, and you just saw people just so beaten down mentally because over time they had just thought, uh, gotten to a point where nothing was doable, where it was just so overbearing because they had a lifetime of mistakes that they were trying to overcome and a lifetime of failing of getting out of that hole. So finance hippie, you'd raised your hand. Go ahead. Hey, uh, yeah. So real quick (laughs) about my previous thing with the latte factor, I said the coffee wasn't a big deal. It's more about the food that, that really, uh, you know, adds to it. People spending 15, $20 a day on food, coffee. I mean, if it makes you happy, spending a few dollars on coffee, you know, and you could afford it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But um, but another thing is um, a big mistake I see is just distrust in the market. Um, uh, my manager, for example, he used to actually work for, for WorldCom. And that was one of those, you know, companies that, uh, you know, went, went uh, broke, went bankrupt and just a lot of sketchy things. And he just kind of always stayed away from the market and, and his 401k you know, we were having a conversation. So he's, he's about 60 director of FNA. So you would think he'd be more financial savvy. And he, uh, he talks about how, you know, he's been doing 10% in his 401k and, and he, he's like, there's really not that much in there. I'm like, how could that be over like at, when you were 50, about 10 years ago, you probably had a decent amount already there. And over the past 10 years, you know, <laughs> markets have been on fire. Uh, so I, th- I think he just wasn't in the right funds and, and people just don't, obviously everything we take for granted on, on money, Twitter, everybody knows everything, but in, in real life, people just don't know. And, and they don't know what invested in, uh, it, it could have either been uninvested in bonds, you know, I'm not too sure, but if he would have just been in the basic S and P 500, those past, you know, 10 years, he would not be, he would not be, you know, saying the same things and, and he would have a lot more trust. So, uh, just two two quick points is just distrust in the markets that that opportunity cost of not investing and just simple things like not selecting the funds in your 401k you know that uh that will kill you <laughs> over the over decades more than any you know misspending is gonna gonna hurt you is just your lack of investing 100 percent, or people putting money in their account but not putting it in a fund right and that's <laughs> yeah that's something that happens yep. all the time more often yeah. yeah so well um absolutely thanks for thanks you all for sharing uh did we get oh brennan just jumped up here as a speaker i brennan go i mean we were done with this sec section so if you want to answer this question what's the biggest money mistakes you see yeah so go ahead. i actually wanted to speak from real life experience and not directly mine but my parents um, and this has really shaped the reason, like the way I am today and the way I spend money and look at money. So back in 08, um, as we all know, the, the great recession occurred and my dad was in the mortgage business and my mom was a private school teacher and they were very leveraged. Um, so I want to say in 2006, we upgraded our house, we upgraded our car, things were going well with my dad's business. Um, I mean, he was making a lot of money at the time who wasn't in the in the mortgage in- industry. And then 2008 happened and he lost his job. And we had, I, I'm one of four, so we have four boys. And we had four boys in private school. My mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time, so she wasn't actually And my parents were an absolute train wreck. This 
right here really taught me um, a lot of what it really guided me into the, you know, what I do today. So obviously you guys know I failed the house. That's a whole different story as to why I did that. But I think a lot of it um, was guided by what, how I saw my parents um, act with money growing up. And I think it was a, a common thing that happened to just my parents with over leverage and uh, heightened bull market, you know, gr- or, you know, great time to be in the mortgage industry and, everything's going well and money and then boom, all of a sudden something happens and you're not prepared. You don't have your fi- financial foundation set and you just get wiped out. And that happened to my parents and we had to, we, we lost our car uh, or we lost our, our cars. We downgraded our cars. We downgraded our house. Um, luckily, unfortunately we could stay in private school. Uh, my mom went back to teaching. My dad was out of work for a solid year um, and they were living on a. Sp- from what I've heard. Um, I have limited details of the story, but a um, hundred thousand dollars in cash that they basically scraped by and it within a six month period, it was gone. So um, for anybody out there um, taking on extreme risks and, you know, in a bull market like we have right now, I want to want to just put a fair warning out is like, it seems all great when things are going great um, when stocks are going up. But as you guys have seen with the recent pullback, everyone's freaking out and you know you know there's the people that are freaking out right now are typically the ones that aren't fully prepared for the moment when we do have the downturn so i think right the good reminder um with just a small pullback that we've had which is nothing but to have your financial foundation set before you get into the riskier plays and push the envelope a little too far to where it sacrifices your family um and i've seen since i've seen it firsthand it, it hits home with me I would like for anybody listening just to kind of take that um, bit of story and just apply it to your situation and hopefully it helps somebody out there because uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some bad stuff within my family that, that occurred as a result. And we like to talk about money, right? We like to talk about all the good stuff that comes from it, the financial education, but money is very emotional and people don't admit, admit it a lot of times, especially when they are riding high. But the second you know, something does happen or collapse, it can take a toll on people. Um, and it's a lot deeper than just losing a dollar at that point. So I hope you guys can take some some guidance away from that. And if you guys, anybody, uh, you know, wanting to get their financial foundation set and they're looking for advice, I think a lot of my content geared towards that because of what I went through. So um, just wanted to kind of put that note out there. No, appreciate that. You know, when you first jumped on, I held my breath because I thought you were about to say that your biggest mistake was paying off your house. <laughs> so, oh man, deep breath there. No, I'm just, I'm just All messing good. with you, man. Uh, Lauren, you had a question for Brennan, maybe or. Well, Brennan, thank you so much for sharing. I hadn't heard that story. And you make a really good point because a lot of investors, you know, like Alex, I think he was in second grade in 2008, you know, like you just, people haven't been through a crash, right? Like I was in college for the, at least for 2008, right? And so I was learning about the fall of Lehman, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of us, but I wasn't investing then, right? So I haven't even really been an investor except for March of 2020, for this time. And I'm 32, you know, going on 33 years old. Um, so thank you. For, I wanted to offer a slight counterpoint and with an example for my family as well. Um, my grandmother turns 90 this year and she invested money in the stock market. I don't know exactly when I've heard it was the eighties judging by 
the apparent bloodbath that occurred. I think it was probably shortly before, you know, Black Monday, 1987. And so, you know, I don't know how much she and my grandfather put in, but, you know, an immediate correction after and they pulled it back out and they never invested again. And, you know, she asked me this past weekend if she should buy real estate because her money is getting like 1%. And she has a pretty good amount because she sold her real estate five years ago. So, you know, if she wanted to retire at like 84, 85 years old, I get it. Um, so, you know, now, but now she's asking me about getting back in. And that's because in her case, I think she didn't take enough risk. She took like none. And there's a cost to that too, especially when inflation is 7%. So yeah, absolutely, Brennan. And I think your approach, what you said, makes a ton of sense. Set your foundation first, right? And then, you know, make your your little slightly more speculative or more risky plays after that. Yeah, I, I actually, I was writing a YouTube script today and um, it was on where do I start? That was the kind of the, the, um, the point of the YouTube video. And so I was walking through the steps and I was just kind of thinking through these and I had like five steps to the financial foundation. I'm not going to go through every one here, but like, it wasn't until the sixth one to where I'd said, okay, now is your time to go explore, to take on that risk. Um, and I, I'm not saying you guys can't do that because I think that I think it's very wise actually to do that. You live and you learn and there's a lot you can, um, you can take away from a big loss that you take. And also maybe you do find, you know, a niche that you like or, you know, crypto or real estate. I don't know what, it, whatever, a private equity deal. And I think it's really wise to do once your foundation is set. But if a big storm comes and you get wiped out, you're still there. You still have the, your house. And I think that's the important message that I think a lot of times people are missing. They want to start crypto investing before they even have a retirement set up or um, they don't have a budget, but they're day trading. And it's like, let's start with the foundation and then let's build from that. 100%, man. And I think that's where this this environment is a little bit dangerous for people to come into is because there's now even more options than there's ever been but there's even more better options than there's ever been and those that better option is starting like you said with that foundation i did want to ask you brennan since you went through that and obviously you were extremely young at that point but do you have any recollection or memories of of that experience as a child with your family going through that yeah, I mean, I was in eighth. Uh, no, I was a freshman in high school, or maybe a, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. So I was pretty. I mean, I was old enough to understand what was going on, and I, I saw my dad lost. I want to say thirty pounds, which he doesn't eat when he stresses out. So like, he kind of works. Like some people obviously eat when they get stressed out. He was he worked in reverse. So like that was significant. Um, he's not heavy by any means, but thirty pounds is is a lot for you know going from like you know a six foot frame about two two to. 190 that's a big big difference um i could tell my parents in general just it was just different um it not lighthearted by any means there was not a lot of laughing at the time um my dad was home so he was trying to basically search for a job at the time uh my my mom was making it like pretty much just making ed's meat so um it was it was tough. I mean, it was definitely something you don't want to experience. But I think that's kind of why I do what I do today, and why like I talk about it so much. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a that's a valid reason, and obviously you experienced that in a way that 
that made an impact on you that then resulted in your um, resulted in the way that you go about your life today. And um, anyways, so we can, if you are either interested in, in contributing to the conversation, interested in telling a financial mistake that you've made, um, we love to hear those stories. But also if you are going through a situation right now where you have something that you're unsure of, that you would like some help um, talking through with, with a group of people up here, I won't speak for myself, but speaking for the others up here, I have a lot of respect for all of these. And uh, I know that there's a lot of expertise and, and experience up here that can help um, maybe get off to chew on and, and go figure out on your own. Uh, but we're going to move on to the next question. And is there anything that you can put in? So for if, if you've not made those mistakes, you know, if you've not made a mistake that is going to kill you financially, um, what are some things that you can put in place to help you avoid making those mistakes in the future? And so if you're interested in, in answering that on the speaker panel, go ahead and raise your hand and we will go through that. Um, Lauren, I don't know if yours was just still up from earlier or if you actually raised it, but. Um, oh, sorry. No, I'll be able to speak okay. here. It, 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 when you, the hand goes away, but I guess it still shows up for you guys. Sorry about that. No worries. No worries. All right, Jason, let's hear what you've got to say. You know, um, I think I'll probably echo what uh, Brennan said a bit, but I, I think budgets are one of the most defensive strategies that that you can take because you, once you learn how to con control and constrain your spending, it becomes much easier to weather, you know, different types of storms. Um, and once you build that muscle, you you're able to then constrain even more, much 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 easier. Um, so I think budgeting is is one way that you can really is a hedge against um, catastrophe in, in my mind a little bit. And if you build up that foundation on top of it, I think that you'll have the the padding to one, as Brennan mentioned, do some riskier investments. But also, if it's not your choice, but the market corrects, or you lose a job, or something else happens, you have much more of a cushion that you can you can you can rely on and i think the other thing is i'd be curious brennan your your experience here but you know when you're at your rope's end you you know you have a family and you're at your you know zeros in your bank account the the stress of, of that plays a pretty big role i imagine in trying to climb out the less stressed you are the more patient you can be the more time you can spend uh and the more quality opportunities you can find to pull yourself out as well. I think that's another benefit of a um, strong foundation with like budgeting and trying to, you know, stack away an emergency fund or other investments. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, we're going to go to, I think it was Justin, you were next. Yeah, thanks, Curtis. Um, Jason, you know, I, I want to applaud you on the, on the budgeting side. I think that, you know, that's a very core foundation for folks that are trying to, you know, pitch a bad financial habit. Um, but, you know, I'm going to uh, go on top of that and also add actually two things. One would be automating the things that you, you want to do, whether it be, you know, saving into an automatic high yield savings account 
or automating your investments into your brokerage, you know, putting those as a priority first um, to avoid. And, you know, you can build that within the budget that Jason was talking about. Um, But the second thing I was going to share around the bad financial mistakes, like for those that joined late, I spoke about my revolving credit card, you know, um, that I had, you know, buying season tickets to, you know, our, our, our team here in Chicago and just how that was bad. And I think one thing that, you know, I've learned from many of you know, our peers here on the panel, as well as, you know, guests from our pod, my podcast was, you know, for, for folks that were struggling with credit cards um, was actually freezing them, like putting them away, create some friction where if you have, um, if you're a, an avid spender, especially with a credit card that's carrying negative debt, um, you know, physically hide them, cut them up, do whatever you need to do to cause more friction to use them. And especially in our, our day where using that card is a lot more easy to use, whether it be through your phone or saving them through a, like a digital wallet um, to pay for things, um, you have to take those efforts. And if that's your you know, sole thing of getting you into debt, um, you got you to gotta remove it and create a lot more friction for you to use it. So the, you know, those are the two things um, to what Jason was saying. Yeah, that's great. One of the things that I did with credit cards when I talked to people is I said, if you've ever made a late or a late fee or you've ever paid interest from anything other than just, you know, like if you set up a new card and you forgot to set up auto pay, if you've ever done it out of not having enough money and made that choice, to me, that's a sign that you should not have credit cards, period, at that point. Now, maybe years down the road, if your financial situation, maybe we can re-address it at that point. But for me, that was kind of the framework about it in is it's it's like an addiction, right? If once you've done it, you should not have that around anymore because you're just inviting for that again. So uh, Finance Hippie, you were, you were next up. Sure. Uh, I feel like one thing I kind of disagree, not disagree, but have different views uh, with most of the financial community is budgets i'm not a big budgeter although i will say if you're in debt definitely budget you need to figure out what you know what you're doing wrong you need to look at where you're spending you know and create your budget uh i've always kind of had the opposite problem i have a a saving problem (laughs) so i don't really necessarily to truly budget i I look at my you know transactions every now and then and and i'm kind of i'm a conscious spender but uh i'm more of a believer in um creating the right habits creating the, the, the you know when, if you're out shopping and, and you want to buy cereal the frosted flakes are on sale the cheerios are not buy the frosted flakes you know uh you don't need to always get like the exact brand or the exact thing you, you know you want you have to make compromises you have to make sacrifices so yeah maybe <laughs> you know this time you have to settle for the frosted flakes instead of the cheerios but ultimately it's the same thing you just got to do that uh another you know mental trick is you know multiplying the price oh if i'm gonna buy this you know, it's not just a one-time purchase. If this is something, you know, whether it's coffee, for instance, you know, oh, I'm going to buy this coffee today. It's not just a one, you know, how much does this cost times 365? How much does this cost times, you know, times 30 or, or whatever the case is. And just in the moment, think about your spending and think about what you're doing and, and kind of create those good habits. Um, so I've always, you know, I, I tweet occasionally just, you know, how I, I don't like to budget and all that, but <laughs> you know, uh, it depends who's reading my my content. Obviously, if you're in debt, definitely budget. But uh, I'm I'm just a big, big uh, supporter of of creating the, the the right habits and you know focus on on saving and 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 making sacrifices in the moment. 
Yeah, that's, that's, I was actually the, the route that I was going to go was habits. So that's a great, um, that's a great addition uh, to add to that. You talked about the cost, you know, multiply it by 365 or like how frequently you would buy it. The other thing that we forget about regularly is replacement costs. So if you go out and buy something today, you're moving up the timeline of the next time that you have to buy it. So that come, that's my reason for some of my hesitation in a car is because I know if I buy that car today, I'm restarting, even if it's a car with 100,000 100, miles, $100,000 car. Yeah. Um, a hundred thousand miles. I have to get now to, to that next number and it's going to be moving up the timeline of me getting my next car. So, um, I like to look at it in that framework because you're looking at lifetime cost, um, in the, the number of times that you're purchasing something in the same lifetime. So, um, Mr. October, you're next. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, sure. Uh, is, the discipline, I think, um, finance, if you touched on it, just, you know, developing those good habits, obviously, and just, just observe your, you know, once you, once you become consistently cash flow positive, right. Um, allocating those funds and, uh, that'll work for you. Right. Um, basically if you're in a hole, uh, figuring out, how to get yourself out of that hole and, and building those those great habits as financially we just outlined. And then um, for those that are in a good financial situation, I think Brennan's experience um, touches on, on a book I read called, um, what is it, The Psychology of Money, I think it is. I'm not even sure of these names anymore. There's so many damn financial books, but uh, which touches on that, right? Where, where when things are going good, they're going great. We take bigger risks. Um, there's an ounce of greed in that. Um, but the book also talks about having the discipline to ha have those reserves in place when that contraction hits, right? Or there's pullback. Whether there's a pullback, a bad pullback, like 2008, I was, uh, I was in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s when that happened. And, uh, just kind of having that, it all goes back to discipline. I think financial hippie just kind of hit it right on the head with that. It's having to stay diligent, stay, uh, stay disciplined, stay grounded, um, and having that mentality. There's, there's also that, that fear, that fear mentality, even when things are going great and you're doing very good for yourself, having that fear mentality that you're going to lose it, even though you're not going to lose it, that keeps you on your toes. So I think that's also uh, important. Yeah, that's, that's good. We're going to be pretty boring here because that was the direction I was going to. But I think what you said there at the end was, was important. And I think that's the, one of the great things about saving um, and, and investing is that you're, you're artificially restricting what you've got to spend. And so you create a level of pressure on your finances that then force you to continue that way. And so I think that that's a good um, that's a good mechanism to um, force you to make better decisions. I'm I'm a hundred percent behind, and, and I, they talk about it a lot in Psychology of Money. Uh, Morgan Housel does, but the majority of our financial decisions and the majority of the things that we deal with finances are not financial at all. They're completely mental, 
And so if we're struggling with our mental strength and all these other areas of our life, it's just going to flow over to our finances. So it's important that we focus, um, that we focus on building discipline into our life. And, you know, I've, uh, for years been setting goals and I have habit goals that I set each year of habits that I'm trying to implement. But I can see where I've even taken that too far because I'm focusing on too many things at the same time. And I think obviously if you're in debt, you need to do, you know, you need to, you know, Dave Ramsey gets a lot of hate here, but when he talks about the intensity of paying off that debt, like that's what we need to do if we've got debt. But once you're out of that debt situation, it's about over the years stacking those habits together, stacking those financial habits to where over a 10 year period, say if you do one a year, then you've got 10 new financial habits. So it may start off with, I'm going to quit drinking uh, pop for a health reason. I'm going to just going to go straight water, straight water and coffee for you, you coffee weirdos out there. And I'm going to go straight water and coffee. I'm going to go straight water and that's going to save me this tiny bit of money, but it's also going to help me in my health. And that may be just for one year focusing on that particular habit. And then the next year it's okay. Instead of eating out um, four to five times a week, it's going to be eating out only once or twice uh, a week, or you're going to cut back. And it's just like stacking those habits on each other. And it's just creating that mentality of this is a lifelong journey. There's no like one time decision that you make that everything's just fixed and everything's just ready. It's living the life um, in a discipline, your life in a disciplined way um, is, is going to create that right mindset to then just knock those uh, decisions out of the park. So uh, Reed, you had, you had jumped up here real quickly. If I'll let you go next, but before you go, um, if anyone else is, is, uh, has a question or something they want to add, you can, you can, uh, DM me or, or Lauren, uh, adulting is easy or Justin, and we can ask, answer those, uh, read those questions via DM, or if you want to request the mic, you can do that as well. So Reed, go ahead. Yeah. Um, finally, I was able to get up here. I've been dealing uh, with a screaming baby for most of this time while I've been listening to you. So I'm glad to be up here finally. <laughs> I'm going to say one one note before I say what I, what I want to say here. Um, I think all the stories that you all shared, like there were, there were a lot of bad ones. But honestly, I think, Curtis, yours was the most cringe for me. Like, I can't stand the fact that someone... <laughs> would touch their ray like that just hurts me deep in my soul so (laughs) i just had to make that comment because it was it was grinding me up inside (laughs) thank you i appreciate that (laughs) i know right just hit him while he's down (laughs) no um i i had like different mistakes financial mistakes i've made through the years which i don't think they're too extreme to to really talk about right now I I think the one thing that I would say was my biggest mistake was opportunity cost and it kind of touches on on what Jason was saying earlier um you know I I grew up very I mean you you can say there's level uh, levels of financial literacy but I had like the, the closest thing I had to to literacy was 
my parents said, avoid debt and basically spend less than you make, which those are good things, right? Because those are kind of what you guys have been talking about all night, keeping uh, barriers on your spending, trying to avoid debt. Those things are great. But the, but the fact is, like, my parents knew zero about investing. My parents knew zero about how to grow wealth. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I came into to financial literacy through kind of the, the hard way or the back door, if you will. Um, a friend of mine introduced me to a financial advisor who put me into um, insurance products, into a whole life product. Uh, and that, but that kind of like lit the fire to help me understand what am I even doing? And so over the years, I through a lot of, and I, I'm not going to get to all the details, but through a lot of experience uh, doing different things, I finally came out the other end, you know, fully financially literate and, and now kicking myself because, uh, you know, my entire twenties, I put zero money in in investing right so i lost out on an entire decade of of compounding interest and then when i got in my 30s i was put in a vehicle that you know it didn't give me that much return generally speaking like like four percent or something like that so it wasn't until basically my mid-30s that i finally came up to speed and was able to to, to take control of my money and my, my investing in finances. And I only bring this up for those who might be listening that, you know, if, if you don't really know what an IRA is, or you don't really know how 401ks work, or you don't really know how the stock market works and, and understand the markets, you know, you might be caught up in, wives tells like like for example uh, one thing that that when i told my my dad about investing in the stock market he believed the stock market was a scam so he had never invested in the stock market so I, it took me time to kind of get him to a point that he finally was willing to put money into the stock market but really it's just it's it's ideas that that people kind of spread who either don't know what they're talking about or have been burned and they didn't understand why they were getting burned. Like when people try to time the market because, you know, it's given so much great returns. And so they're, they're like, well, we we shouldn't put any money in yet. We have to wait for it to crash, but we don't know when those things are going to happen. So all that to say is if there are things, if if you feel there are gaps and there are holes, I just encourage anyone to start reading daily, start listening to podcasts, start watching YouTube videos, just start doing financial literacy because in, in a very short amount of time, you can come up to speed by reading a handful of books, by listening to some podcasts and by listening to a lot of people's opinions, you'll, you'll kind of get the understanding of how all, all these things work. So I, I would say my honest biggest mistake was, a lack of financial literacy, but I'm kind of in the shoes of Jason in that I'm trying to make up by just throwing money at investments as fast as I possibly can, just because I'm trying to make up for all my lost time that, that I just didn't understand how 
all of this worked. So that's the one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up because that's really my biggest mistake. And I know everyone who finally gets to the point where they understand what they're, they're talking about says, Oh, I should have started earlier. But for me, it's still, it's still a a thorn in my side. So (laughs) that's what I wanted to share. Um, And I loved all the stories that you all have been sharing up here. And it's, it's been a good, a good space. Uh, Lots of good topics you guys have been covering. Hey, appreciate it, Reed. Thanks for, thanks for being, thanks for speaking up. Um, I really appreciate you telling me that I'm the most cringeworthy. That's what I've shot for my whole life. So thank you so much. That means so it's, much it's to love, me. It's all love, Curtis. It's all love. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, I'll, and I want to, you know, if you're in this spaces right now and, um, you know, the, I hope that you have, you've enjoyed this conversation. Just follow all of these people on the panel, follow everyone that's in here. I can just know, like, I've seen all of these people and sp- spoken with them and just great, great people and really appreciate them offering their insights today um, and, and adding to this conversation. We're going to kind of, uh, kind of wrap it up here and we'll give people a chance to kind of say a last word. If you're still on here as a speaker, um, if, and you want to, you want to give a wrap up, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand. But I, I'll, I'll start, and then you know, as in anyone raises their hand, we can go through. But you know, the the key is here, and and I think a number of people missed this to hear all of the mistakes that were made. So go back and listen to the recording because the idea here isn't to shame people for making mistakes because we're all going to make mistakes, and I think that's the point here is we've all got these of mistakes that we've made. And so the key here is, is how we respond and how we rebound from the mistake, because how we respond is what's going to result in the ultimate financial outcome. And I think for the majority of the people that are here, we're probably all young enough that we've still got a chance. We've still got an opportunity to, to overcome the mistakes that we've made. And so ever let a mistake get you down. Don't ever let a mistake um, results in you, uh, quitting because that's when you've truly lost is when you've quit. So that's my, I guess, preaching I've got right there. Um, Mr. October, uh, you would raise your hand first and then financial hippie. So next, so Mr. October, go ahead. Sure. I'm going to uh, piggyback off of, um, and I will leave it with, um, money comes and goes. Time is the asset. Love it. Short and sweet. I love it. Financial hippie. Go ahead. Uh, well, we talked a lot about, you know, re- regular uh, mistakes. I just wanted a quick comment. I know me and Brendan don't always uh, get, get along, but, uh, you know, I did a pre-story and, um, you know, I, I think leverage and, and euphoria and just, you know, have, having such strong convictions and in, in, in invest in certain investments that you're willing to, you know, take out this leverage and, and do that. Ultimately, you got to do what works for you and you got to, you know, be secure. So if paying off your house, oh, sure, you know, there's a lot of, you know, debate that goes back and forth of paying off your house and, and, and making these type of decisions. But if it makes you feel secure and it helps, you know, build your base, I think that's, you know, it's important. It's important to get like the fundamentals right, get build your base, build a strong base and uh, and then go from there. If you're, you know, willing to take risks, you know, get your feet on the ground first and then take take those risks and, you know, make sure they're, they're educated risks. Uh, in addition to, you know, regular, you know, getting out of debt and, and find, you know, 
regular financial uh, stuff. Good stuff, everyone. It's all love, uh, finance hippie. That's great. <laughs> Another the other thing I learned tonight is that there's a lot of there's a lot of keyboard warriors here. Is they all wanted to shoot shots at each other, but then when I tried to face them off, they just didn't want to say anything. So um, we'll remember that uh, that we're all a little bit of keyboard warriors going on. So, uh, Kenny, go ahead. I wanted to use your words, right? Yeah, you you have um, you you like to use the word intentional, right? So. I think you're going to make a lot of mistakes, like you said, but you got to be intentional on that, right? Know what you want, you know, know where you're going and do everything it takes to get there. So if you get distracted away, uh, it's going to, you know, kind of impede your progress. So just be intentional and being disciplined is going to help you get there. And we all have made mistakes, and but we're trying to recover and trying to make up for those mistakes. So... That's one thing that I wanted just to say before I go to bed, right? <laughs> I gotta go to bed, man. <laughs> yeah, what well, like four AM is coming pretty early now, so go ahead and-, and that is this episode of the Delve in the Money podcast. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion about our financial mistakes. I hope you will join us for our next episode, which is a wrap up of the Redeeming Your Time book. Until next week, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Make more intentional decisions starting today.